Starcourt Study Hall contains spoilers for all seasons of Stranger Things. Episodes may also contain graphic content and language not suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The views and opinions expressed are those of the hosts unless otherwise stated, and all content and characters are property of Netflix and the Duffer Brothers. I'm Marina. And I'm Amanda. And this is Starcourt Study Hall. So we have made a fatal error, and before we talk about anything else today, we have to talk about this fatal error that we made. And I just want to point out the irony of this error, because this is literature, and we were English majors, and we did not catch it. In my defense, my concentration was writing, not literature. Okay, fair enough. (laughs) I didn't have any of that. I was just an English major. (laughs) All right, so we need, before we get into what we're actually talking about today, we need to talk about Fagin and the gang, a.k.a. Jonathan's group of imaginary friends that he (laughs) clearly has. (laughs) We have to talk about them. Because in our previous episode from last week about the Flayed, we roasted Jonathan for having friends. That we didn't know that he had, but it turns out he actually doesn't. (laughs) We were correct in our assumption that... Jonathan has no friends. We, we were like, who are they? Maybe they're a band. We don't know who they are. Yeah. So we want to talk about Fagin and the gang uh, because this is what Jonathan says to Nancy when she calls him before 6 a.m. in the Flayed. And it turns out that this was actually a reference to Oliver Twist because of the snarky comment that Nancy made to Jonathan in the sauna test about his Oliver Twist routine. And turns out Fagin is a character from Oliver Twist. Oops. Oops. I would say we did it again, but we didn't. This is the first time. The first time we've had like a major L. Yeah, major. Yeah. And not like 11. Like, like we suck. Yeah. And this was just like so subtle for a couple of reasons. One being that Nancy's comment that Jonathan is reacting to is from the previous chapter. So like, unless you're keeping that really in your brain it's not gonna it's not gonna hit i don't think no and then also i feel like charlie's delivery of the line was just so deadpan it didn't even indicate that there was sarcasm or snark no i agree i had no idea this was meant to be like a joke of any kind yeah it didn't even feel like a reference like you know when dustin makes a reference it's very apparent that he's making a reference yes Yes. Just didn't feel that way. No. Okay. So let's talk about who is Fagin. He is one of the villains in Charles Dickens' novel, Oliver Twist. And he is an old man in London who teaches young homeless boys how to be pickpockets. And then he essentially takes all the stolen goods that they accumulate. (laughs) Pretty sure it's an exchange for shelter. He shelters them. Great. Wonderful. Wow. <laughs> Life skills, you know, <laughs> pickpocketing and stuff. We love a good landlord. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like, this is Fagin and the gang. He was the leader of all these children. And I kind of love this because in the flayed, Nancy and Jonathan just end up leading around this group of children. I love 
I know. It's very cute. But of course, there's another character we have to talk about, because why wouldn't there be? In Oliver Twist, there's also a Nancy. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. She's the lover of Bill Sykes, who's the novel's actual like lead villain. And Nancy is confirmed to be Fagin's former pupil. So one of the children who was in his little gang. Okay. You know, before I guess she grew up and got with the other guy, the, the villain. But Nancy in the novel is known to be a thief. And I kind of love that because we ragged on Nancy for stealing <laughs> medical records. We did. We did. And she's been known to, to take her fair share of things when she needs to. Yeah. She's just, you know, it's just she needs it. She borrows it. Yeah. Whatever Ariana Grande said exactly (laughs) you want it you you got it you bought it you need it i don't know what did she say you flaunt it okay you get it okay we're done all of those things and yeah we just really wanted to mention this because it felt worth mentioning that we totally ragged on jonathan for having no friends turns out he actually doesn't have any friends they're just fictional characters kind of like our friends in stranger things they're just our fictional character friends (laughs) and i i left this as a comment on our post today or yesterday or whatever Mm -hmm. about it and i said uh, at our high school the, the theater kids were actually like kind of the cool kids so it makes perfect sense that we were not theater kids but also our high school did oliver they did yeah and my brother-in-law when he was like a a toddler that's not what he was but he was in it (laughs) he was in like middle school (laughs) yeah and i I believe he was one of fagin's children he was a child yeah yeah he was a child because he was a child but i just it's just funny like we should have got this or at least when when she made the oliver twist reference we should have been like let's look at that because usually it's meaning we didn't do that at all i know which is shocking usually we're we're googling everything so i know our bad So, yeah, I think that's where we're going to stop with this. Thank you to everybody on our Instagram who was like, hey, you missed this because we appreciate that and um, we love this kind of thing. And we could keep going on and on about this because the parallels just are are plentiful, but we're not going to do that. If we had Googled this beforehand, we could have done a whole Oliver Oliver Twist episode probably. (laughs) Don't say that too loud because I'll be doing it. She will. All right, back on task. What are we actually doing today? Not talking about Oliver Twist. No. We're going to talk about the seven deadly sins, Mm -hmm. and we're going to apply them to our Stranger Things characters. I think we're going to do this because we have identified plenty of other Catholic slash theological religious symbolism Mm -hmm. in Stranger Things We talked about The Last Supper in relation to The Spy in Season 2. We talked about Eleven as a Christ-like figure. We've talked about Sacrifice. We talked about the crucifixion pose that we're going to... We've seen a bunch of, but the end of Season 3 with Billy is like Mm. a major one. Yeah. We've talked about judgment and mercy, particularly in relation to Kali. But we also spoke about Kali and Henry like playing God, which... Mm we're going to talk more about anyway am i forgetting anything nothing i can think of off the top of my head right now but i'm sure it's there i'm sure there's something we forgot i also want to make it very clear that we are not religiously affiliated we were both raised catholic roman catholic we do not subscribe as you know we texted stop yeah but we do have all of this information just kind of floating around in our brains for no apparent reason and marina a little more so than me because she actually attended catholic school for a little while and i did not i did do that though i did attend youth group so (laughs) yeah you had it 
longer into years where I feel like you would retain it better. True, true. You know? Yeah. Like, I, I was like, all right, I'm 10, I'm out. Like, you... <laughs> I am 10 years old and this is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. So we just wanted to mention that um, we are not expressing our opinions. We are presenting information. I don't have a problem with lust personally. Same. I mean, sometimes you take it a little too far. Like, you know, I mentioned Nick Cannon here. He really needs to get a grip. I just, no more. No more. No more. Please. Stop. <laughs> I do, however, have a problem with murder. So you can kind of see, right, how some of these sins represent universal moral truths, such as killing is bad, whereas others are not recognized quite as universally, right? Yeah. So just so we're all on the same page here, just like where we stand morally, lust is fine. Killing is not. (laughs) That's where we draw the line. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. All right. So I also want to make clear that these sins are often referenced beyond their religious context. They're kind of just like woven throughout literature and art and film and music and all of this other stuff that has nothing to do with the Catholic Church. For example, we're just going to throw it back a wee bit. Um, Dante's The Divine Comedy features the sins. <laughs> just a t- We're just throwing it back a little bit like a few years just a couple years also chaucer's the canterbury tales you know throwing it back the casual 1300s (laughs) wait we're gonna go back even further in a second this is true yeah closely related to both the divine comedy and the canterbury tales is america's next top model (laughs) um (laughs) they did if you if you recall if you were a an an antm watcher in cycle four they did a photo shoot based on the seven deadly sins and they took the models and gave them all these props and these costumes and stuck them in coffins and photographed them laying okay yep we get it right Mm -hmm. okay just you know inspiration you know the movie seven too i don't know if anybody out there is familiar i'm sure you are starring brad pitt and morgan freeman i don't know why our 12th grade philosophy teacher made a point to make us watch this film yeah yeah i mean i i'd actually seen it before that which same yikes not appropriate for people under 18 i would say um but but i really enjoyed that assignment honestly i think we did it together probably that sounds yeah. about right we, we like hung out and wrote an essay and watched seven <laughs> <laughs> I, I think i had also seen it beforehand but we were like into movies like like we were watching all that oh yeah nonsense. We, were, we were always creeping ourselves out yeah but that movie seven came out in 1995 and like i said it stars brad pitt and morgan freeman and they're actually two detectives and they track down a serial killer who is targeting people who quote unquote represent each of the sins pretty cool it's very saw before saw Mm -hmm. i didn't know this i think it's kind of cool according to the show's creator each character on gilligan's island supposedly represented one of the seven deadly sins cool I know. I watched a lot of that. I don't know why. It was like on between the Brady Bunch and the Munsters, and I was just watching it a lot. <laughs> a lot of Gilligan's Island content. And last but not least, it was also an anime that was based on a manga of the same name. Wow. Yeah, Seven Deadly Sins. Cool. All right, let's get into what they are and how they were developed. And we're going to go on a little mini history voyage here. So, 
as always, according to the Britannicas, I'm so happy that we get to use them as like a it, source. All the time. And it's relevant as yeah. well. Like, it doesn't feel like we're just, you know? Yeah. Encyclopedias. <laughs> the seven deadly sins, also called the seven capital sins or the seven cardinal sins, in Roman Catholic theology are the seven vices that allegedly spur other sins and further immoral behavior. Okay. Yeah, and they are deadly because they lead to the death of the soul, supposedly. Cool. Yes. The sins, I said, we're, we're going to throw it really far back here. The sins were first outlined in the 4th century. That so, is pretty long, pretty yeah. long ago. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're not just, like, casually aware of the 4th century, that is 301 to 400 AD. And they were outlined by a Christian monk named Evagrius Ponticus. What spell is that in Harry Potter, do you think? Uh, that's the spell in Harry Potter where you automatically <laughs> sin if someone casts it on you. <laughs> it's like automatic confession, actually. Yes. Just... It's, well, no, that would be giving them Veritas Serum for oh. like the truth serum. Yeah. And there were actually eight sins at first. Uh, the original list included sadness. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Yeah, it we're did screwed. not. I know. Wow, my God, we're we're sin, sinners. <laughs> I'm sinning all the time. <laughs> Just very sad. <laughs> How dare I? Okay, so the list it included sadness, and it did not include envy. Logic being that sadness is closely related to envy because it includes sorrow at another's fortune and joy at another's misfortune. I don't know. It seems like a kind of a narrow definition of sadness that we're working with you're only allowed to be sad if other people are happy <laughs> <laughs> it also included vainglory and pride which are similar we'll get into that a little bit so the og8 deadly sins were as follows gluttony lust avarice or greed anger or wrath sloth sadness vainglory and pride and then in the sixth century they were enumerated by Pope Gregory I, and they were trimmed to seven. So this was between 501 and 600 AD. Pope Gregory removed sloth and vainglory, kept pride, and added envy. Okay. And then finally, a thousand years later, they were elaborated on further by St. Thomas Aquinas in the 16th century. A thousand years went by. <laughs> thousand. And St. Thomas and that, Aquinas was just like, you know what we haven't thought about in a while? <laughs> I feel like those sins could use an update. <laughs> Has anyone issued the new version of the sins yet? It's like Windows XP, Windows yeah. 7. We gotta upgrade. <laughs> sins XP, sin, okay. <laughs> yeah, so, so Thomas... <laughs> just Thomas... Thomas. Just just Tom. Thomas. <laughs> Good old Tommy Tommy A. Um <laughs> He was like these things need an upgrade ASAP. He believed that all of the sins are just a manifestation of pride, which I thought was actually really interesting. Yeah. The yeah, the theological understanding of pride is that it is an attempt to elevate oneself beyond God. So, as per the Catholic Church, not us. Today, we know the seven deadly sins to be greed or avarice. Greed is the extreme desire for both material and immaterial wealth. Lust, which is inordinate or illicit sexual desire, regardless of sexual orientation. Wow, we love an inclusive king. 
We do. You know, you're <laughs> sinning no matter what. You are a sinner. Straight, you're, gay, it doesn't matter. Yeah, We're like Lady sinning. Gaga said, what did she say? You're We're born, born this way, way and you sin because of it. I don't know. I think that's um, the lyrics, yeah. <laughs> sloth. I think we understand sloth to mean laziness, but apparently when the sins were developed, it referred more to neglect of your spiritual duties. Pride. And we said this, vainglory is sometimes used in place of pride, but they actually are different. Vainglory is defined as inordinate pride in oneself or excessive vanity. Pride in a negative context is understood to mean conceit, arrogance, or superiority. Also, like I said, in the theological context, it's elevating oneself above God. And then gluttony. Gluttony refers to the overindulgence in consumables, like food and drink, including alcohol. Wrath. The belief is that wrath is beyond the scope of, of anger. Mm. So it's essentially anger that has reached the point of deliberate violence or destruction, and that violence could be against others or oneself. Oh. I know. Okay. And then envy is our last one. So I think we often use the words envy and jealousy interchangeably, Mm -hmm. but they are not meant to be synonymous in this context. I just want to thank Jesus for making this distinction. (laughs) Shout out. Shout out to to, to JC. (laughs) All right. (laughs) The distinction made is that jealousy includes the sadness at the prospect of losing something of our own. Hmm, Whereas envy, yeah, envy is a disordered sorrow over something that someone else has and a wish to detract from it. What is your cat doing? (laughs) Um, I don't know. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to move him. Okay. So we have just a quick, quick little runoff. We have greed, lust, sloth, pride, gluttony, wrath, and envy. And before we really get into this, I also want to quickly mention the seven heavenly virtues for good measure. So humility as opposed to pride, charity as opposed to greed, chastity as opposed to lust, gratitude as opposed to envy, temperance as opposed to gluttony, patience as opposed to wrath, and diligence as opposed to sloth. Just want to rattle those off. And what does any of this have to do with Stranger Things? Nothing. But we're going to make it have something to do with Stranger Things if our lives depend on it. And they do. They so do. it's really yeah. important that we're here today <laughs> to do this. So important. <laughs> so important. All right. Let's get down to it. All right. So the way that we did this was we split up all the sins into their seven categories. And we kind of collaborated in our Google Doc and just started kind of firing off who we thought would fit into each of the categories and a little bit of an explanation and uh, each of us is going to talk about who we put and what our reasons are and give a little kind of discussion about it i want to say this is probably one of our most collaborative episodes we've done so far i think so yeah i had a lot of fun with this one just writing in the doc and conversating Mm -hmm. about it and stuff so um i'm excited to get into it so let's do it let's do it So, our first sin we are going to talk about is envy. Our first person slash people that I put in envy is Tommy and Carol. Mm. And, of course, we mostly see them in season one. Season one is when we get to know them the best. I think that Steve kind of says it best when he's sort of breaking off the friendship with them. 
He says that they're both miserable. They can't stand to see Steve moving on from them and becoming happier. And they essentially only treat Steve decently when they think he's about to dump Nancy because she's a threat to their friendship. And also, I think that she's kind of a threat to who they know Steve to be. Mm. And it's it's going to be tough for them to watch him move on without them. Yeah, I like them for Envy because it's like they're only happy like you said, when they think he's going to dump Nancy, which would make him miserable. Right. They would like to find joy in his misery. Sure. Somebody that I put in envy was Barb. Yeah, I'm putting Barb in envy because we don't really know what was at the root of her resistance to Nancy's pursuit of Steve in season one. Mm -hmm. It could have been like any number of things. It could have been a fear of losing a friend, which would be kind of similar to what you were saying about Tommy and Carol. True. It could be jealousy, right? Because fear of losing a friend is losing something of yourself, Mm -hmm. according to the definitions we're working with. Was she threatened, like, by watching Nancy blossom and come into her sexuality? That feels more like envy to me. Yeah. It could be both. It could also just be a genuine urge to protect her friend. We really don't know what was at the root of her, her resistance. So I'm putting Barb in envy. I'm with it. Yeah, I don't know. This is just a hmm, sus. My next one was Angela in season four. So I found it tough to categorize her since Mm -hmm. she's, you know, all around kind of terrible. But her mistreatment of Elle seems to ramp up when she discovers that Elle has a boyfriend. And she clearly is threatened by her happiness. Doesn't want that. So, yeah, that's kind of how the whole Rinkomania thing plays out. And then in that scene, we also know that there's another route to her mistreatment of Elle, which is revenge for Angela getting detention, maybe. Not really sure which what like happened. Which makes no sense. Right. Because it's obviously her own fault that she it gets literally, detention. Yes. Like, and not to... Elle didn't rat her out. No. Not at all. It's literally all Angela's fault that she got detention. <laughs> it straight up has nothing to do with Elle at all. Yeah. Nothing. No. But she... Yeah, so she she basically bullies Elle further mm-hmm. for her getting in trouble for bullying Elle. So it's it's like she's created the self-fulfilling prophecy here of this person can't be happy. I'm going to tear them down. And even when I'm tearing this person down, if I get in trouble for it, I'm tearing them down more. Yeah. So I thought Angela kind of belonged in Wrath. I agree. I No, er, no. Envy. 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 <laughs> I was thinking Belonged about that. Yeah, that one. She's so angry. Yeah. I'm also putting Will in Envy, which is kind of wild to me. I can't believe I'm putting him here, but here we are. I think of him specifically in this way in the context of season three. Mm. We know why he's holding on to his youth so strongly. We've talked a lot about it, but I do think we see him get a little bit, you know, happy, relieved when L dumps Mike. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Mike is miserable. Will is like, all right, time to play D&D. <laughs> Move on, everyone. And again, we know like why Will is acting this way, but it's still kind of shitty. Mm-hmm. I think he's another weird one, kind of like Barb, who straddles the line between jealousy and envy. Because in season four, he's very clearly jealous of Elle's relationship with Mike. Yeah, he he's pretty cold to her in season four. Like he it, is really cold. That's to pretty her. clear that their relationship is strained. Yeah, and I mean we know he loves Elle at the end of the day, mm-hmm. but it doesn't change the fact that 
He probably loves Mike a little more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. All right. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say something controversial, maybe, and oh boy. say that I think Eddie might need to go and envy a little bit. Hmm. So when we first meet Eddie, he's kind of bitter and he's jaded about his classmates and just like in general, he's he's just a pretty jaded dude. And to me, this kind of reads as envy in a way, because it's clear that he struggles with the fact that maybe his peers get to have semi-normal upbringings. We find out he was raised by his uncle. His parents are Mm -hmm. nowhere in the picture. So he's obviously struggling a bit in his life. He's failed senior year several times. So I'm, I'm thinking specifically about the cafeteria scene here when he's just like loudly making fun of everyone for doing very normal things parties <laughs> like that and, and, and a game where you throw balls into laundry baskets or whatever he says um but i think that he's resentful over being seen as like the school weirdo even before chrissy dies and he presents that as anger towards those he views as having a life that he really can't have because of some external circumstances but some internal as well i love this and i also think it's kind of interesting if you juxtapose eddie and his like you said his bitterness about the human condition Mm -hmm. with henry's bitterness about the human condition and how those manifest themselves yeah because i feel like they're both a little bit like we live in a society right (laughs) they are (laughs) (laughs) but like you wouldn't think to that eddie and henry would be on the same plane but they are they're they're like outcasts rebels we've talked about this people who don't conform Mm -hmm. who don't like conforming so i also yeah like now that you say that i'm thinking about like henry takes that and runs with it in a violent and destructive direction but eddie takes that and is like you know what like i don't want to be this person and i i want to do better for the world and i want to like do good things and just an honorable mention for envy because it's one of those kind of towing the line between jealousy and envy but i am gonna say hopper he spends kind of half of season three like berating joyce every time she mentions or speaks to another man and uh it's not cool so you know it's it's more jealousy for sure but we felt like it needed to be mentioned yeah and it reminds me a little bit of again back to eddie and then if you think about what we said about eddie and his bitterness about not necessarily living that quote-unquote normal life Mm -hmm. right i think the same of max a little bit and then i think the same of hopper a little bit Mm. just thinking that they're not necessarily i mean not necessarily realizing that normal is relative and kind of thinking that Mm -hmm. they're they're dealt this bad hand and that kind of attitude you're naturally going to look at those who you perceive as not having been dealt that bad hand and you're gonna envy them yeah absolutely our next sin that we are going to talk about is gluttony yum 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 (laughs) all right so for gluttony the first person that came to mind for me and probably for everybody is hopper so we know hopper has abused substances in the past prior to the events of the show but we do kind of see him spiral in this way at the start of season three yeah I'm not saying that Hop backslides completely into substance abuse, but I think we can see his predisposition to it. Yeah. Like, I think of season three, when Joy stands him up. I also think of the pre-Demogorgon meal, where he's drunk at the table. Oh, yeah. Nine feet tall. We also start, like, our, our first impression of Hopper is him waking up 
brushing his teeth and chugging a beer and going to work. He brushes his teeth with a bottle of Jack. There you go. <laughs> All right, Kesha. <laughs> so far we have Kesha, we have Gaga. Yeah. And who was the first one? I don't know, but I'm sure Taylor Swift will come up at some point. Yep. I'm sure she will. (laughs) Point being, I think Hopper is predisposed to substance abuse. He uses it. He falls back on it. We know that he drank on the job. We know that he had issues with pills. We Mm -hmm. just, this is just like his MO. Yeah. Unfortunately. So again, I don't think he's backslid completely, but the tendency is there. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of which... I'm going to say Argyle and Jonathan in, se- in season four. So I get it. Okay. I get it. But I'm going to throw them in here for some gluttony when it comes to their substance use also. Mm-hmm. Jonathan does admit that a big part of his cannabis use is about overindulgence in order to self-medicate. So we we know that this is kind of what he's doing. And Argyle's just here for a good time. So honestly... <laughs> He, I don't, I don't Purple know. Purple palm tree delight. Yeah, I don't know if I'm gonna like really lump him in here, but I don't know. He's he's overindulging too, but he's a little bit more of a pro at it, so we don't see it as much. But yeah, so I think Jonathan kind of belongs in this category at least in season four because he is definitely overindulging and yeah. purposely. And it's about why, you know, it's yeah. really about why. Like, why are you being gluttonous? Why are you consuming or over? That's what it is. Yeah, you know. I mean, with Jonathan and Hopper, there's a self-medicating component. For sure. Yeah. Speaking of self-medicating, Susan. So Max's mom in season four. We don't see too much of it, but we know that she's abusing alcohol. The implication is that it's been since her marriage failed. And Billy died, I'm imagining. And Billy died, yeah. So Susan in season four, for sure, I think kind of spirals a bit. Last but not least, Chrissy's mom. On the subject of moms. On the subject of moms. So in season four, we learned that Chrissy's mom has used the fear of the sin of gluttony to shame her daughter. And she eventually, we gather, develops an eating disorder as a result of this. And we do see a reference to this in her Vecna vision with the rotting dinner table. So that that leads me to believe that this, you know, display is something that Chrissy deeply fears. Mm-hmm. So we're going to put her there, too. And yeah, I she like that. It. Yeah, it's like like they're handing this to us, right? Mm-hmm. They're saying like gluttony is a sin, according to Chrissy's this woman. Yeah. Yeah. And I also just, you know, whenever I see the table in that scene i might have mentioned this in the flayed Mm -hmm. which is also kind of weird i always think of great expectations i think of miss havisham's yes wedding table which if you have read that book by charles dickens because you know apparently we haven't read the other one you would know that miss havisham is stood up at her wedding and she her her house from the day of her wedding is unchanged and all of her wedding feast is left out on the the table rotting yeah so, so I always think of Miss Havisham's table when I see the, yeah. the food. Cool. It's a good one. All right, moving on to our next sin, we are going to talk about greed. So the first greed. person I put for greed is going to be Mayor Klein. Klein's a swine. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Anytime. So, <laughs> I think he's kind of our most like classic um, yeah. sort of example of greed here. 
he basically turned a blind eye to illegal activities by the Soviet government, which yep. not only negatively impacted his community, but is just like generally not a, a good thing to do. But he received some some presents, whatever that means. Could from, mean anything. From the Soviets in order to, or in exchange for him turning a blind eye to these activities. So, greed. Definitely money. Yes. I, I don't yeah. know what other presents, but I money for say, sure. Yeah, he never like elaborates on what the presents are, but I think we can guess that money is involved. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. We put, or I put, I think we agree, Henry for greed. Mm-hmm. Not material wealth. Yes. I don't think he cares much about that, actually. No. But for power, he's definitely greedy for power. I also feel like his belief that Eleven is like a possession that he is entitled to because of her power is a form of greed as well. I would agree. Yeah, like it's definitely greedy for power in one way or another, whether that's like building up his own mm-hmm. or having others around him who are or who he has deemed equally powerful. So Henry yeah. slash one slash Vecna. <laughs> Whoever he is. Whoever he is. To that, I would like to throw Brenner into the ring for greed. He is definitely greedy for knowledge and mm-hmm. power mm-hmm. In, the, in the same way. And he doesn't seem to care who he hurts in the process, honestly. Nope. And we know that that greed ultimately leads to his death. If he wasn't so uh, hungry for power, then he wouldn't have betrayed Owens and gotten killed by the government. He literally, like, I mean, I can't. Brenner is so freaking difficult. Like, I, know. I, I can't. But you mentioning him and putting him here just made me acutely aware of the fact that he is completely absent from season three. <laughs> and I almost kind of wonder, though, if, I mean, we talked about this in the flate as well, the way that season three feels different and it Mm. season three doesn't feature papa and i feel like he was such like a staple of seasons one and two even in two when he was dead and season three you don't get him at all he's nowhere to be found and it's weird yeah that's true bring papa back i'm gonna start a protest (laughs) and finally lonnie i love this yeah Lonnie is another one who's like he's kind of hard to categorize because he's all around the worst but here's the specific Every sin. yeah just all of them he literally uses the death of his firstborn child for mm-hmm. financial gain yep Sadler company <laughs> yeah that's pretty pretty bad I don't think Jesus would approve no Jesus is pissed yeah he would not like that so he, he not only uses this opportunity for financial gain, but I think he also uses it to weasel his way back into a family, which I think counts as greed. I, mm-hmm. I feel that he would have been mooching for a while if, yeah. if Joyce had let him. And like we said, it's all about why. Why are you doing this? What mm-hmm. are you gaining from weaseling your way back into this family? Truly. Right. Because he clearly doesn't give a crap about no. any of the three of them. No. What are you getting out of that? Free rent free rent yeah yeah i think lonnie is a great example of greed and i think you know he's so we're so far removed from him at this point we don't think of him often but he's a perfect example yeah yeah because he's he's just the worst he clearly does not care about his family at all and uh yeah yeah i agree yeah next sin we are going to talk about is the sexiest of the sins (laughs) wrath no i'm just kidding uh (laughs) wow so sexy it's lust 
So, All right, lust. I think our first demonstration of lust as a quote unquote sin would be Nancy and Steve in season one. Not because I think that they are legitimately sinning, but I think the way that things unfold, that's the, I don't want to say the implication, but you probably know what I mean. So we did speak about how the trope was reversed. The woman who rallied against sex, Barb, is killed versus Nancy, who chose to have sex with Steve, and she is spared. Normally, the woman who has sex is killed, like, immediately. It's like, oh, mm -mm, no, no, time to die. (laughs) Nightmare on Elm Street is a perfect example for, like, every reason. Most slasher films are perfect examples for every reason. Mm -hmm. But I also think we see Nancy punished for and haunted by the sexual experience with Steve in a different way. Yeah. Like, although she herself wasn't killed, she lives with the guilt. And it it eats at her. It does. Yeah. Like her motivation behind wanting to take down the lab in season two was partially from a need to like liberate herself from the guilt she was experiencing. And I mean, obviously she wanted justice for her friend. Mm -hmm. But I do think, although not directly stated, this one encounter that she and Steve had in season one, she is continuously sort of punished for in one way or another, which makes it feel very sin-like. Yeah. And I have a question, because I don't know if we've talked about this. Do you think Nancy would have sought justice so desperately if she didn't feel responsible for Barb's death? Maybe not to the extent that she does. Okay. I think she still would have. Mm-hmm. Because we know our girl has a very strong sense of justice, no matter she what. She does. You are right. So I think that she would have still been pursuing the lab, and she's game for any opportunity to take down, like powerful bad people so like murray yeah okay all right so our other pretty strong example for lust is billy william william so in season three specifically he is of course lusting after karen which would you know be considered the sin of lust no matter what but then adding the fact that she is married and way older than him makes it worse and i also think the biggest One of the biggest factors in considering something a deadly sin is the consequence, as we've talked about. You know, your soul dies. And uh, (laughs) I hate when that happens. (laughs) Right? And uh, yeah, that kind of like literally happens to Billy, kind of as a direct result of his lust, because when he gets taken by the mind flayer question mark whoever does that, (laughs) he is on his way to meet Karen. It's beautiful. I mean, like in the worst way. Yeah. Right? Like, he is punished in the most extreme way possible for his lust. I love it. I mean, I hate it, but I also love it. (laughs) Right. It just, it feels like what we were saying a little bit about Chrissy and how it's it's almost like given to us, you Mm -hmm. know? Like, you were lustful over a married person. Here's a punishment. We're going to dole it out. And it's it's just so good. It's also like the the man, the man being punished for lustful behavior which is is not typical it is not so good it's so good but unfortunately we can't really talk about billy without talking about karen because she entertained this a bit i would say yeah um yeah they don't follow through with their plan obviously but she was lusting after billy can i get a i need it i need it you need to do it please mrs wheeler thank you (laughs) i never published my song i should probably do that (laughs) 
So, yeah, while they didn't follow through with their plans, Karen and Billy, Karen was 99% there. This is just lust through and through. There is nothing else to this between them. Yeah. I mean, why they're lusting after each other, we could probably get into that as well. But this is just mm. like lust at its core. Yeah. Um, also, Alexi's lust for the Slurpee machine is just my last, <laughs> <laughs> my last lust here. He, he does love that Slurpee machine. <laughs> <laughs> loves it no he lusts it i'm sorry yes you're right <laughs> and, and frums it <laughs> yes from mike i from you i from you <laughs> okay let's move on to one of our more complex sins which is pride so we kind of struggled with pride a little bit because so many of our characters do display this trait in a way yeah but kind of on a spectrum so like we can see that dustin can display pride but so can henry and it feels weird to put those two in the same category of pride because it's just not so we made three pride buckets we have we did (laughs) we did we have irreparable damage minor destruction and annoying but ultimately harmless so those are our three pride categories Let's kick it off with the irreparable damage category. All right. So first I have Henry. I put Henry here because of the theological definition of pride that we spoke about. Mm-hmm. If you subscribe, which which I do still, mm-hmm. to the possibility that the mind flayer is still the big bad calling the shots and that Henry is a puppet or a pawn, even if he himself doesn't see it that way, this feels to me like Henry considers himself to be above God or the mind flayer as a god figure. Mm, I love it. Yeah, so that's why I put Henry in irreparable damage for pride because his pride, it makes him murderous. He is murderous. Like yeah. he feels so entitled to his like definition of survival of the fittest, right? Like who is meant to survive, who is mm. allowed to survive. That's not your shot to call yeah. Henry. You're not god. But he thinks he is. He really does. And then in the same vein, I put Kali. Same as Henry. We talked about how similar these two are plenty of times. She feels entitled to cast judgment on those who she thinks have sinned as if she is God. And I think in The Lost Sister, we hear some of our most religious sounding language with like mercy and judgment. And like she might even say atone for their sins at some point i don't know if i'm making that up but kali really just likes to play god and i just don't think this is her place she does not get to choose who lives or dies and that's pride yep and then last but not least i'm gonna say we here yeah we put l we put l for irreparable damage for pride Yes, this was one of those times we were doing the podcast before before we were doing the, we were just like texting vigorously back and forth like, "Oh my gosh, yes, L." Yeah. And you might remember us talking about this in our MBTI for Max and L. I, I don't remember the context in which it came up. Yeah, but I think that is when we discussed it. Okay. So the reason why we put L under pride in our irreparable damage bucket is because of l's choice to revive max at the end of season four yeah and i mean there are other things involved in this choice but we feel that this is an act of pride because there weren't things taken into account that should have been for example was this the best decision for max right 
And who is L to make that decision? Yeah. Max does say, right? Like she she does say that she didn't want to die, but Amanda brilliantly said that's not Max's decision either. Yeah. Like in this context, no, it is not. Exactly. It's about context for sure. Yeah. It was also not Henry's decision to kill Max. But he did it anyway. But he did it anyway. And we kind of feel in a lot of ways that Max is a victim of Henry and Elle's power struggle. I love that idea. It's so good. I mean, yeah. when you when you like really think about it, she is victimized by Vecna because of her trauma mm-hmm. and ultimately put in an unlivable state of being between her, her limbs being cracked, her eyes. Like, she Ugh. is... I'm sorry to create the visual, but she is not meant to live. This was not, she wasn't meant to live. So we have Henry's power on one end and then Elle's inability to lose. No, you're not going. Right. Like that's not your choice, girl. It's not your choice, Ms. Elle. And the other thing is too, like this is really tragic and we don't even know what Elle's or what Max's future is going to look like right now. Like, even without the context of knowing what her living is going to look like, or even if she does, we don't mm-hmm. even know. This is still really difficult to reconcile with that Elle made that choice for her. And yeah, like, we don't even know what the implications of that are yet, but I'd imagine they're not good. No. Quality of life. Yeah, it just, it, it makes me think of, like, in one of those last scenes when Elle is, like, trying to find Max. Yeah. Um, and there's just nothing in there. And that's almost like a punishment for Elle that she's now mm-hmm. having to deal with. Like, her friend is is empty. God, what an awful thing to think about. Wow, oh, I hate this. Why are we doing this? I don't know. Now I'm sad. Oh, great. Another sin. Now I'm sad. <laughs> <laughs> Banished. <laughs> um marina also suggested brenner and some of the things that i had to say about that for irreparable damage category of pride for brenner is that like from what we can gather brenner basically kidnapped henry from the hospital in his sick pursuit of knowledge and power because yeah victor creel thinks his son is dead i mean he kind of is but he's not and even before he did that we can also gather from season four that brenner has been seeing henry for a while and has been helping him hone his powers and studying him like a lab rat and while henry was definitely experimenting with his powers a little bit before that i think Mm -hmm. brenner was definitely a catalyst for henry trying to expand his limits a little bit i would almost love to know how far henry would have gotten without brenner's interference like Mm. I mean, Brenner created a monster, but, like, not completely. The monster was there. Brenner Mm kind of, like, polished him and, like, groomed him. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder, too, if Elle had never taken out the Soteria, Semolina, Sativa, whatever it is. Stevia. (laughs) (laughs) Like, what what could have come of that? Of course, that's not Elle's fault. If anyone is responsible here for Henry slash Vecna slash one, it is Brenner. It's amazing, like, that you can't, you can't, like, place blame on any one person for yeah. this entire situation. Right. It's it's a collective uh, problem. It really is. Okay, so we're going to move on to our second category of pride, which is minor destruction. <laughs> <laughs> So we are going to start this one off with Steve in season one. Yeah. This one I feel like might be considered vainglory, mm-hmm. if that still exists. I kind of agree. But Steve was still in his asshole era in season one. 
And I think that his pride kind of blinded him when he thought that Nancy was cheating on him. Instead of looking at the bigger picture and the bigger context of the situation, he acted impulsively and pretty horribly towards her when his ego was bruised. Mm-hmm. And he also he- beats the crap out of, well, Jonathan kind of beats the crap out of him, actually. But he tries to beat up Jonathan. He does, and he destroys his property, which is shitty. True. But again, you kind of wonder what's at the root of that destruction, and you can kind of think back to the context of that situation, and Mm -hmm. it's like, he thought you were photographing his girlfriend, which you were while you were undressing her in the window. Mm -hmm. It's not a good look. Yeah, while destruction of someone else's property is never okay, you you can kind of understand where he's coming from. That wrath, though mm-hmm maybe a little bit mm-hmm steven for minor destruction i also put nancy mm-hmm. and i didn't think of her as destructive at first until i started to actually think about it she in season three specifically is destructive in that it results in reckless behavior her pride mm. um like breaking into people's homes and stealing medical records and i also can't really help but still contemplate a little bit how the situation would have played out differently if Nancy didn't get involved. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it actually would have made a difference if she didn't get involved with with Mrs. Driscoll. I think that overall, no, but I do think that she was able to maybe save Elle because they had the knowledge that they had. Yeah. So, you know, I think the overall, the, the skin spider would have still emerged and <laughs> done its thing. But I think that her finding out this knowledge early might have been able to save Elle's life. I wonder if Mrs. Driscoll was a random target. Like, that rat that she captured, Mm -hmm. she could have just not captured it, right? And then who would have been the first? Yeah, very true. I also said that Nancy gets herself and Jonathan fired from their job due to her prideful need to be right. So That's the destruction. There it is. That that's it right there. Yeah. I put Dustin under minor destruction for pride. And again, he was somebody who I at first was like, nah, he's annoying, but harmless. But then I thought about his absolute disregard for everybody's safety in season two when he insists on domesticating a tiny Demogorgon so that he can get the discovery of the spe the species. 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 Yeah. That is that is that is pride. Mm-hmm. Through and through. So, Dustin, you were uh, minorly destructive by keeping Dart, even though we love Dart. Mm-hmm. I love Dart. And then I put Brenner in Pride as well for minor destruction, but I will I will admit this is like a little bit twisty and turny. I think his Pride for L is toxic Pride. It's almost like a like a trophy, you know, and and a weird codependency in a way. Yeah, at least in season one. Okay, our final category for pride is annoying, but ultimately harmless. We love it. (laughs) So our first pair or person that Marina said was Max and Mike from season two. Both feel a little prideful. All I did was write that and then Amanda elaborated on all of it. (laughs) I just wrote Max and and Mike from season two feel prideful and I just left it at that. (laughs) And then Amanda took it away. (laughs) Here's how I expanded. I said, thank you. They're both kind of vying for Elle's attention here, but not even just that, but it's almost like they're battling for ownership over her. It's very odd. And yeah. They both kind of seem to have the same idea. I know what's best for Elle. 
But Max kind of gets it a little more saying it's ultimately up to Elle herself. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it feels like they have a lot of conversations about Elle, but not with her. Yeah. And yeah. that's in season three that we get that. I'm sorry. Yes. Yes. Not season two. Season three. Yeah. And in, in season two, I think mm-hmm. where I feel that they're both prideful is in Mike's resistance to allowing Max into the party. Mm-hmm. But simultaneously in Max's, I guess, abrasiveness at first, like sh- like with Lucas, like almost like she's too good for this. Yeah, she's got a wall. You, she has a wall up, which feels a little bit prideful. Yeah. So, yeah, I think Mike and Max are kind of the same breed of pride in a couple of different ways. Yeah, I would agree. Another person that we put into annoying but ultimately harmless is <laughs> Joyce. So, Joyce was tough because... She She is tough. She's an angel. But I think much like Nancy, she has a very strong drive to be right. And while she is also like Nancy, usually correct, her means of getting to the truth can be very intense. Yes. She's also pretty prideful throughout season three when it comes to her and Hopper's relationship. Their bickering does end up causing some issues and delays throughout the season, but nothing major. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's hard. Yeah, we we took a while to put Joyce somewhere like for 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 most of this. We were like, we don't have Joyce anywhere. I know. Took a like some thinking about it. It it did. And lastly, in this category, I said Murray. I think his pride is also ultimately harmless, but can be annoying. But yeah, I said he's definitely kind of pompous intellectually, can be a little elitist. Mm -hmm. And he's definitely prejudiced in some ways. Yeah. Mostly, Mostly about Russians. Mostly. Yeah. He can definitely be abrasive and offensive at times, but he is definitely well-intentioned. Yeah. Again, that non-conformist. Yeah. Eddie and Murray, and it's just like very, it's a theme. Yeah, it is a theme. A theme. All right. Next sin is going to be sloth. Not the creature. The cutest of the sins. Wow. (laughs) Adorable. What this adorable sin? (laughs) (laughs) So, so cute. Come on, everybody. I think who you is, all, I think you all know. Who is the number one sloth? It's Ted Wheeler. Our it favorite is Theodore Wheeler. Our favorite ham sandwich of a person. A wet noodle. <laughs> ham ham sandwich. Ham noodle. Noodle man. <laughs> ham no- okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't really have ham any- noodle. <laughs> I don't really uh, have any details on that. Just as a human. <laughs> He's a human sloth. I mean, if we want to get into dereliction of duty here, you know, dad, <laughs> like he doesn't, what did I do? Like, I hope you enjoying your chicken, Ted. Like he doesn't, no contributions except no. send the kids to jail. <laughs> That's right. Maybe a night in jail would like, do him what some are you talking about? He's, I don't know. <laughs> Ted, shut up. Yeah, that is definitely, now that you say that, um, you know, he definitely has the, the duty of being the breadwinner for the family mm-hmm. and he does that but mm-hmm. that's pretty much it yeah he's not parenting whatsoever no, no he is not uh, for sloth i put jonathan and okay. the reason is because of his drug use mm. um and the reason that i say that is because it almost feels like he is partially unable to be truthful with nancy that is in itself kind of a form of sloth to maintain trust in a relationship. I guess this could go both ways. It feels like a, a duty that he is neglecting. 
Yeah, and then I think of how Will is impacted by Jonathan kind of Mm self-medicating. And as much as I really hate to do this to Jonathan, like, I don't like to make him solely responsible for Will as the parent. Because at the end of the day, he's not Will's dad. No. But I do think he feels that he is responsible for Will and it is his duty to protect him. And I think Will kind of feels, and you get the the sense of this when they're having their conversation at the pizza place yeah and what does jonathan say he's like i i, I know i haven't been whatever yeah like totally present or whatever. totally present yeah. and will's like yeah like you haven't been <laughs> so i think will feels a little bit left in the dust because jonathan has self-medicated so strongly yeah yeah a little bit of a dereliction of duty like as a brother Right. And this is, you know, a a particularly important time that it would have been really good for Jonathan to be present for Will, Mm because I think he really needed someone to talk to aside from his mother. Yeah. But yeah, I I do like this. I think, I mean, cannabis use is often associated with laziness, and uh, I don't necessarily agree with that, but it does feel symbolic of that in a way, which like, you know, I know that we said earlier, like sloth is not technically laziness but Mm -hmm. it's sort of how everybody um has interpreted it in a modern way i think yeah i think we understand it that way yes and i also think it's like kind of a vicious cycle of inaction here because he's he's using this self-medication to dull his sense of responsibility to others i think is, Mm -hmm. is a big part of it and then falls more into inaction to others you know what i mean like he he has these these duties that he's sort of imposed upon himself in a way and then he is trying to get out of them and then it causes more issues and i also feel like he has a duty to himself and he kind of doesn't follow through with that yeah i will say he you know in the duty to himself vein that he had a a really strong future ahead of him Mm -hmm. that he was planning Mm -hmm. and then you know and it's his choice and but he decided to opt out of that to stay near home which is great and that's fine but it's not that he's throwing his future away but he is totally rewriting his future Mm -hmm. without assistance or knowledge of anyone else like i don't know it just feels like he's he's purposely isolating himself in a way yeah yeah i I think that's a good way to put it so our last sin that we're going to talk about today is wrath so immediately first person i thought of for wrath is kali mm-hmm. yeah so not only has she channeled her trauma into rage but she has directed it into excessive violence and a general life of crime which is yeah. like kind of the the whole definition of wrath literally yeah yeah she also displays wrath when others don't cooperate in the way that she wants she basically betrays Elle because she isn't on the same page in terms of her revenge plot. Mm-hmm. And she just like berates her for that. And then I also need to point out, I have a quote. Kali is the Hindu goddess of death, time, and destruction. Mm-hmm. And there you go. I kind of feel like um, Kali in season three, uh, season two is just, it's just Fagin and the gang. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Oh my god, it is. <laughs> it's just Fagin and the gang. It's just like a merry band of misfits yeah, doing crime with a leader. With a lead who offers them shelter. Oh my god. <laughs> Holly is Fagin. 
Oh my god. Everybody. Y'all. <laughs> we <laughs> learned twist. We man. learned about about Oliver Twist and now everything is Oliver Now twist. everything is Oliver Twist. <laughs> Sounds about right. All right, for Wrath, I put Henry. I think we can put Henry here. He is mad at societies, and he has opted to kill everyone because of it. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) On a more serious note, though, he definitely has a rage that is channeled through violence. I'm not sure that he sees it this way. I think he thinks he's doing everybody a favor. But as viewers, I think we can agree that there is a deep-seated anger at the heart of his actions. Oh, yeah wrath and also like his delusions of grandeur that he can reshape the world yeah remake it however he sees fit like that's what he says to l yes as if he is a god a world untouched by what does he say mankind yeah and he even refers to spiders as gods of our world (laughs) i don't know man he's very out of touch he really is (laughs) does he know it's not the 40s anymore does he know that i don't know (laughs) So Henry is definitely pissed the fuck off, I would say. Yeah. He's he's pretty bad. He is. Another person that I put here in Wrath, and, and I only have one example, but I'm sure that she's displayed at other times, and that is Elle. But my main example is Angela getting schmacked. That was rage. That was for pure, sure. pure rage. Yeah. And yes. I, I get it. I do. Yeah. I put Billy in season two. And for Wrath, I think we did have this conversation. Would Billy have killed Lucas? I think he might have. I think so. Yeah. I think he might have. I think he was wrathful enough that he would have killed Lucas. Yeah. I hate it, but I I I think he would have. Yeah. And then Max is like, stop being so mad, bro. And then he stops being so mad. Well, he he only stops being so mad because she (laughs) sedates him. (laughs) <laughs> but then like he leaves her alone in season true. three that's what i mean like, oh yeah that's true he, like it's like ah never mind that was a lot of effort i don't care anymore i'm a lifeguard now i have to go to my job i'm on the schedule <laughs> i'll be mean to you later <laughs> god it must be exhausting to have two full-time jobs a lifeguard and a right the, the king of the flayed where does where does neil think he is where is yeah. neil where are either of them we don't see them at all in season three either one of her parents their no. parents yeah no we never see them all right yeah i don't know what they're doing or where they think their their that's children a great are. question yeah <laughs> don't know where does neil think his son is because he's literally never home he's a flay the king of the flayed like, like he's, where he's leaving his day job at the pool and then going down to brimborn steelworks to like hey girl some other people and yeah and then he just wakes up in brimborn steelworks and goes back to the pool <laughs> yeah his his parents missed his coronation like it was just it's just so unfortunate oh yeah uh speaking of those people, yeah neil hargrove is gonna go here for wrath he is i think so physically abusive verbally abusive emotionally abusive all around terrible terrible human being yeah. full of rage yes i'm gonna i'm gonna wrap up wrath with with jason from season four Mm -hmm. because he gets pretty violent with eddie's bandmates and he would have 100 percent killed eddie if given the chance and lucas and lucas speaking of people who would have killed lucas oh my god everybody calm the fuck down please stop trying to kill lucas (laughs) lucas did literally nothing to anyone (laughs) in in fact he's he's not even in this he's not even here he hasn't sinned a single time no we have not even categorized him 
Yeah. I also think there is a certain irony in Jason enlisting him here because he believes he is working actively against the devil. So true. Meanwhile, he's like trying to murder people. Yeah. But he really thinks that he's doing the Lord's work. And it is, again, it's very similar to Henry and Kali, like this, like thinking that it's, he's almost like acting as a servant. Yes. Of God, whereas Henry and Kali assume more of a I am God role. But <laughs> right. it's, the, it's the same gist, you know? Yeah. It's like, you're you're not God's servant, you know? Yeah, like I don't he, know if that's he thinks he's to entitled to like speak for God for some yeah. reason. And, and dish out the punishment. Yep. Fucking Jason. Okay, so that wraps up our seven deadly sins. But Ooh. we realized that there was a good amount of characters that we didn't talk about. Um, that have never sinned, ever. <laughs> so I made a special category called characters <laughs> who have never, ever sinned, literally ever. <laughs> Perfect baby angels. Yes, and I we don't have all the characters that we didn't mention in this category, but we have a few. So first is Mr. Clark. Never sinned. Never, ever sinned, ever. He. Nope loves his job he loves the kids he assists our characters whenever they ask no questions asked sometimes sometimes he asks like a few questions but he's not that persistent nope he was also a founding member of the av club and a friend of bob mr clark yeah doesn't sin he does not and speaking of bob he goes here too because he's also never sinned ever in his life he is a perfect angel Perfect. He loves Joyce and her children and will not rest until they love him too. He tries so hard to make these kids love him. This man will go to all lengths. Yeah. Like literally. He will literally do anything. He also assists all these people, including Hopper, who like I hope we find out if this is true, but like it kind of seems like Hopper and Joyce were a thing. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. But Bob helps with no problem. Uh, and he literally gives his life to protect all of them with minimal question asking. Mm-hmm. So, R.I.P. Bob, you have never sinned ever. And finally, I am putting Chrissy here. Well, you know, we put others under one of the sins for drug use. There are definitely some mitigating factors here for Chrissy. Yeah. Number one and most most literal of a mitigating factor is that she never actually used any drugs. No, she just was like, give anything stronger. Yeah. Like, he sold her the, the weed, and but she didn't use it, as far as we know. And then, number two, I would also be buying ketamine if I saw Vecna in a bathroom stall, okay? I, <laughs> I, I get it. Those feet, though. <laughs> Vecna feet. Like, if, if I was in the school bathroom fans. and I saw that, I'd be like, I gotta get out of here. And by here, I mean my brain. <laughs> yeah, I need the strongest you got. Yeah. Just ask him for drug. Hi, Vecna. Do you have anything you could sell me? <laughs> what What do you got in there? <laughs> Why do your feet look like that? <laughs> and, you know, it also seems like this is something very, very out of the ordinary for her. Eddie seems mm-hmm. extremely surprised by this. So, yeah, Chrissy is a baby angel. Never sinned in her life. R.I.P. R.I.P. Chrissy. Chrissy. Yeah. Chrissy. Wake up. Chrissy. And Chrissy. That's it. That's it. I want to rattle off the characters we didn't mention. And and let us know if you have any ideas of how they've displayed some of the seven deadly sins or if they're baby angels who have never ever sinned. Yeah, or if you think we're wrong about everything that we just said and you would like to correct us. Yes. Clearly we're open to it. We are. Characters we didn't mention. Lucas, 
Susie. She does change Dustin's grade, though. Ooh, that's I don't know bad. what that would be, but... Yeah, where's deceit on the seven deadly sins? Honestly, lot lying. Yeah, that feels that feels like it should be one of the. It the is, sins. isn't it? A, isn't it a reason why you can end up in one of the circles of hell? Yeah. Isn't... So what what happened here? Where's the? I sin? don't know. Come on, uh, Jesus. It, Characters it... we didn't mention. Also, Robin. She might be a sweet baby angel. What does Robin ever do wrong? I can't think of anything. <laughs> I can't either. She just doesn't. She doesn't do anything. Nah, she's a, she's a good person. She's a baby angel. I'm calling it. She is a baby angel. Um, Erica. <laughs> we didn't mention Erica. She she belongs somewhere. I just don't know where. <laughs> uh, Owens also, I yeah. think, belongs somewhere. Tom and Bruce, a hundred percent. They belong maybe everywhere. I don't know. <laughs> Callahan and Powell. I considered putting them under sloth, but then I was like, you know what? They kind of step up to the plate. Yeah, in season four. In, in season absence. four. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we didn't mention Terry. Oh, yeah. We didn't mention the Demogorgon. <laughs> but, like, I don't, again, I'm... He's an animal. I don't think he he's counts. An, he's an animal. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody else we failed to mention? Like, period? Let us know. Dottie and Axel and Funshine and <laughs> We Rainbows. sort of mentioned them. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So I don't know, but those are those are the big ones for sure. But let us know if, if something really obvious again has happened that we are unaware of. Yeah. And we just want to end this episode by saying that all of these characters will repent later. Yes, I'm guessing they will. They will repent later. I will repent later. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you not know why I put that there? No. I thought you were just being serious. <laughs> no. I That's think what they Susie will. says to Jesus. Yes. <laughs> Amanda put a beautiful photo of Jesus here. <laughs> yeah. I captioned uh. it Jesus when he makes it to Hawkins and it's Jesus looking very concerned. <laughs> yes. He's like, whoa, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> Gotta get out of here. We'll all repent later. <laughs> we'll all repent later. Everybody. This was fun. This was and fun. different. Yeah. I enjoyed this episode a lot. Well, that about wraps it up everybody that's it have fun out there don't sin too hard have a good summer (laughs) don't have a good summer we're posting an episode every week continue having a good summer hope it's good all right see y'all hope you're having Uh, a good time yeah (laughs) have a nice day night sorry my cat has been harassing me for the past hour and a half my brain is fried okay everybody hope you enjoyed this as much as we did it was fun as always rate us if you enjoyed this see you next time stay sinning (laughs) stay sinning strangely oh Oh. (laughs) to keep in touch and stay informed about upcoming star court study hall episodes follow us on instagram at star court study hall